Good morning, everyone. We will get started. I will start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering uh, this local assembly here together this morning. We um, ask as we look into uh, what commendable church growth is, what you, your son, considers to be commendable, that we would um, look at these things and look at ourselves as part of the church body and see uh, where we can um, become more conformed to commendable attributes that you show us here. We ask, Heavenly Father, that um, we, are, we come to know your promises better, know your Son better, and live more accordingly to those truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are back in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 through 4. We're looking at commendable church growth, and uh, specifically, we're going to uh, find four um, characteristics or attributes um, that are commendable uh, for true uh, church growth, a church that uh, we, can be, we can be proud of and thankful for. So um, I know some of you were not here last week. Um, we made it to about slide 12. Um, I'll whip through just real quick recap some of the things we uh, talked about last week um, just to get you up to speed a little bit. Um, this book here was uh, some of Paul's earlier, earlier writings, 2 Thessalonians, um, Written in about uh, A.D. 51-52, it's generally believed that they could be maybe the second epistles written, Galatians a little bit earlier possibly. It's written in Thessalonica, which was a seaport town. During Paul's second missionary journey is when he visited uh, uh, Thessalonica, and we find the account of that in Acts 15 through Acts 18. Um, you guys, I see you're looking at the map. You find Thessalonica there? See, way up to, uh, up, up in here. This was a, a very thriving city. It was, it was a seaport um, right on the Aegean Sea. Uh, if I'm pronouncing that properly, there was a river that flowed into it. There was uh, a, a Roman highway, the Ignatius Highway, that connected the east and the west all the way to Asia, from Rome to Asia. So it was a big city. It was full of crime. Uh, prostitution was organized. Uh, murder was rampant. Uh, people had to put bars and windows on their doors. Uh, 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 and so in a lot of ways... He's very contemporary <laughs> to a lot of major cities we have in the United States these times. Um, so that's uh, where this all took place. There was fierce uh, uh, um, persecution, and that's one of the major themes we see here in this, that uh, these, co- these commendable church attributes were all um, um, growing under persecution. Um, they chased uh, Paul and P- uh, Silas and Timothy out of uh, Thessalonica. They were there for a fairly short amount of time. Um, they fled to uh, Berea. They actually, uh, the, the, the Thessalonians chased them there, and then they were forced to leave uh, Berea, and they went uh, all the way to Corinth. Um, and this is where they wrote the letter from, was fr- from Corinth, where they, they, were, they stayed, Paul stayed for a long time. But But uh, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were together when they founded this church, and they were together when he wrote the letter. So you'll see in the uh, the opening salutation, it mentions mentions all three of them. Um, Let's see here. We we define the church very briefly, because the letter starts out, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We wanted to define what the church is in its different uh, aspects. And we see Matthew 16, 18 here, where Christ uses this word church, ecclesia, and uh, wanted to make note that uh, he says he will build his church, you know. Um, and so it is Christ's church. He is the head of the church. And uh, we need to listen to him and to his word through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, as to what is commendable. In a church, 
Um, we have church as a local assembly. That's us right here. We see here in Acts 20, 28 that uh, the elders uh, and the overseers and shepherds are to care for the flock who have been purchased by Christ's own blood. There was a great price that was paid. Uh, the flock in the local assembly, it's all of, all of our body here and, and the elders, the overseers, the shepherds. Shepherd is where we get our term pastor. We are to care for the flock with loving care. Um, Romans sixteen fourteen here, um, w- this, this scripture was shown here uh, where it says, he's, he's addressing, uh, it is uh, Aquilus and Priscilla and Aquilus, I believe it is, and, and, and uh, he's, he's thanking them and he's referring to them when he says, for whom my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. It's just, showing that uh, all the local assemblies are, in fact, included when Paul is, is writing his letter. So um, we, we talked about the church universal and glorified. That is that all, all believers who come to faith, uh, who are redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, uh, through all, throughout all church history, past, present, future, is the church universal and glorified? And Ephesians 5.27 here is making a reference basically to the bride of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is not that us uh, today. Um, we, uh, Christ might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Um, um, that is the church universal and glorified. We are, as it says in Hebrews twelve twenty three, uh, enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. We will not yet, but in the future. So the church universal, all believers for all time. We talked about the visible and invisible church. That is, um, we know that for sure the Lord knows who are his. We see here in 1 John two nineteen. Uh, 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 evidence of this doctrine that is taught in the scriptures um, that not all who are sitting in the pews are saved. Um, We see in John uh, 2.19 reads, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they are all not of us. So it's an important thing to remember. Uh, what we discussed is the fact that it's not our job to fill up the visible church. We're not supposed to conform to the pattern of this world. We're not going to get rid of the pipe organ if we have it and start playing rock and roll. Uh, we're not going to water down the gospel. We're not going to uh, uh, um, uh, be seeker-friendly, you know, uh, have uh, felt felt needs sermons. And so what we need to do is be true to the gospel and uh, uh, um, continue to preach that, and uh, the visible church uh, will take care of itself. The invisible church will grow. Um, so then, this is where I want to dig in a little bit further now. I know we, we got to this uh, um, slide last week, but this is where we start with the, with the four, f- first four verses in Thessalonians, um, and we're going to look at Paul's salutation here. You can see I have uh, the word in God and then in red. We're going to talk about that first, but let me read the first two uh, uh, verses again. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very briefly here, this, this uh, um, introduction, this salutation is, is uncommon. Uh, uh, Paul adds nothing to his name. Um, he doesn't say an apostle. He doesn't uh, give other, he doesn't note his offices. This is, this is an endearing letter. It was written to the church that he loved. And um, uh, so we don't, after this letter, you don't find uh, uh, this term, well, I, I guess I'm jumping to a different topic here. After this letter, um, we'll always see this term, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Um, um, we didn't see it in Galatians, which, which is believed to be an earlier letter. We did see that noted in about verse 3, but not in the salutation. 
Um, so he, this is an endearing letter. He loves this church. He wants to edify them. They're under persecution. He's very concerned about them. He prayed for them in, in his first letter to them because he was so concerned about the persecution. He, got, he, he was there for a short time. They drove him out. He knew that people had lost their jobs uh, and they were, they were under constant pers persecution. He was writing this letter to encourage them. And, and um, um, so we will see that later on. Uh, now, to the word in. You know, this, when you think about this, it's very interesting. I really thought this was interesting when I studied. This terminology is unique to Christianity. We are in Christ. You know, I have been crucified uh, with Christ. Is no, longer, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, uh, on the life I live in the flesh. I know, you know, I know. I, now I forgot it, the one that I know, stone cold too. I live by uh, the faith of God who loved me faith, uh, uh, and gave himself up for me. Um, we are in Christ. And uh, it's funny, you don't hear people say, I'm in Confucius. You know, I'm in Buddha. You know, we are in Allah. We are in Muhammad. No, this is unique to Christianity. It's very important. And what Paul is trying to emphasize here is that uh, the church is in God, in Christ. And what that shows us is this, he thinks, he knows as well as he can, you know, that, that this is genuine conversion. He's seen these people. He's been with them. He's gotten reports of them. This is his second letter. He sent Timothy. Uh, well, Timothy came back with a report for him for the first letter. We don't know for sure who came back with the second report when he wrote the second letter. But he was concerned for them. He sent someone there. He kept apprised of what was happening with the Thessalonians. He had been praying for them, as we'll look at in, in the first letter. And he sees that his prayers have been answered. Um, so um, he talks about the union that we have, you know. As I mentioned, that's what he had in mind when he wrote Galatians 2.20. We see it in Colossians 3.13, that we are in Christ. We see it in Ephesians 3.9. It's this mystical union that we have with Christ. Um, it marks our identity as true, genuine believers. This is the first attribute of, of commendable church growth, true church growth, a uh, church to be thankful for and, and to be proud of. Uh, um, and I know I keep using the word proud, and I know when, we, when we're in Christian circles, pride, proud, kind of, uh, well, that's, that's, that's a word that we're, we're a little bit afraid to use, but we're going we're gonna to look at uh, a boasting and pride here in a, in a little bit. Um, so, we are in Christ. It's unique to Christianity. It's a wonderful thing. It's a sign of genuine conversion. Paul also, uh, I want to talk about here when he says, we are in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, this is a comfort. He's, just, he's emphasizing our Father um, to emphasize that God is the Father of all believers. Just, again, it's reassurance to them. God is your father. This is, you know, something that was not stressed all that much, believe it or not, in the New Testament, uh, God as father. I think we, as we've grown up, I talked about this uh, uh, last week, we have uh, grown up, I think, with the Lord's Prayer, you know, our father who, are, who art in heaven, and we, we don't have a, so much of a, uh, we, we understand that God is our father. It was not stressed that much in the New Testament. Um, so, Moving on from there, Paul goes on to say affirmatively, grace to you and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what he wants there, he's desiring that uh, they have continued experience of grace, continued experience of peace, which are theirs because they have a life union with God and a life union with Jesus Christ. Uh, grace and peace to you. Uh, this term here, too, as we talked about, is, was kind of introduced here in salutation as far as, as far as from then on Paul would use that. And the thing about this, this is uh, a, a term that is uh, all-inclusive. I mean, the Greeks, you, the Greeks used grace. That was Greek, uh, a Greek term in their greetings. And the Jews, the Hebrew term peace is shalom. So he's combined them, grace and peace, it's, it's inclusive of Greeks and Jews. He's, he's uh, not excluding anybody. Um, 
As we see, I think, in uh, verse 3, also when we're talking about inclusiveness, he writes this letter, you know, and it's kind of unique, and not all of the translations show it this way. I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but he'll say, he'll mention the, the brethren and the sisters, I believe in verse 3 here. A lot of the translations only call out the brethren. Um, I worked with this a little bit with Tim. Paul Quist and I worked on this, and we, we kind of got stuck at this point a little bit when we thought about uh, um, grace and peace being inclusive and brothers and sisters. You know, Paul was making sure that he was, he was edifying all those believers at church and making sure that they all knew that they were uh, um, included. All right. So... Here we go. The, the NASB, this is from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. This uh, Verse uh, 3 reads, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Again, I don't know what, what versions you may have in front of you. My Holman's says, We give, uh, give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters. And uh, I know the net calls it out that way. And so, again, just that inclusiveness. And um, we see two aspects of commendable growth of the, of the, of the, of the Church of the Thessalonians. Growing in faith and love. Um, as we see here in red. Um, and this was just not normal growth. This was growth beyond what Paul had expected, beyond the ordinary. He used a term in the Greek that he has a prefix to growing uh, that is hyper-growing. We don't see that here, you know, greatly enlarged, but in the Greek it was hyper-growing. It was growing beyond expectation. It was super-growth. Uh, so Paul was, was just very encouraged and thrilled to see that under this severe persecution, their, their faith and their love for each, each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Um, again, under tremendous persecution. We could see that if we looked in Acts 16, 20, and 24, uh, where Paul and Silas uh, and Timothy are driven away because of the hatred of the of Thessalonians. As I mentioned, they, they chased him from Thessalonia to Berea, and then they had to flee Berea. He went to Athens and then, and, and then and ended up in Corinth. But uh, uh, they really didn't like the gospel. They didn't like Paul. They didn't like it was disrupting uh, their society. It was uh, uh, um, antithetical to their beliefs of, uh, of, of that they had going there. And I think we see that. We're seeing that more and more in our day now. Uh, I don't know if we'd be safe in Corinth anymore probably not but uh, there's got to be an island somewhere <laughs> we pull all our money but no we're not supposed to flee uh we need to stay here but gosh do we not see more and more persecution um uh good is evil evil is good um it's uh, rapidly becoming more and more like that um but in the midst of it, here's an assembly of believers whose faith is greatly hyper-enlarged and they are showing great love for one another. And if this being the case, you know, if it's true that God is working in people's lives and we can see signs of genuine faith in someone or an assembly of someone's, then we are under obligation, as we see here in this verse, we ought, we ought uh, so according to this passage, we're under obligation to give thanks to God for that genuine faith. We think about that, what, what, what a beautiful thing it is when God is working in someone's life. What a wonderful, exciting thing it is when God changes lives. And is there anything greater than God bringing people into his family? People's lives being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just, as I mentioned last week, baptisms to me are just wonderful. You know, it's that outward sign of an inward uh, change and a confirmation of your faith. And uh, uh, we see all that played out. I just uh, think that uh, baptisms are a beautiful and joyful thing. So we are under obligation to thank God that he is working in people's lives. So notice it says here, as is only fitting. 
it's fitting that we are thankful for the body of Christ. This is our family. This is who we're going to be spending eternity with. You know, not just the local assembly, but all the saints through all the ages. I mean, just how excited is that? You know, I mean, Moses, you know, Elijah, Paul, and Jesus, too, right? <laughs> Especially Jesus. But all eternity um, with some pretty great people. I just see Bob sitting there, like, you know, to be an ordinary Christian is an extraordinary thing, and so there's no, there's no hierarchy or anything, but we're going to have plenty to, uh, plenty of interesting things to do and learn and, uh, and uh, see. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but it's going to be good. Um, let's see, where am I? We see that faith is greatly enlarged, you know, as we said, beyond measure. Uh, the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater, hyper growth. Um, Paul did pray about all these things. We're going to take a look at that. Some of his uh, some of the first Thess- Thessalonians where he prayed about these things. <clears throat> Their faith and their love were enlarged. Paul wants them to know that his words are not empty flattery. You see? But, but fitting to the facts. We see that is in here uh, in the scriptures. This is not empty flattering, and Paul is trying to reassure them that it is not. We ought, we, ought we're, we, are, we are under obligation to always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting. This is not flattery. This is something that that is appropriate to the situation. Um, So we see also here their faith and their love for one another grew under persecution. This one another means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Your love toward one another grows even greater. You know, we who are adopted into the family of God always have each other. We will be there for one another. Someone will care for you. Um, We have a deep obligation as is fitting. It has to be done. In other words, it's deserved here that we give thanks to you. We're bound. We're under personal uh, obligation and compulsion. Because of the character of your life as a church, because of the quality of this congregation, we we ought unceasingly at all times congratulate not you, not the people in the body, but God is the one who gets the thanks. Um, So it's only right because there's such a model church, such a wonderful church that we uh, ought unceasingly, without hesitation all the time, to give thanks to God. It's no more than God deserves because our faith and love is greatly enlarged. Now, taking a little bit closer look at this faith, when God gives you something, it sticks. And our faith is an indestructible faith. We see here James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know, it's an awesome thing here to think about uh, regarding faith. The Thessalonians had hyper-growing faith. It was a commendable thing. This word testing here, as I talked about last week, has to do with being put in the crucible and ground up to see what is in it. Crushing it and seeing what's there, what's good and what's bad, what, examining it. Examining it. Um, when you put your faith to the fire... Um, just as the analogy here to gold, it will not destroy it. It will just purify it. We see the, this analogy in Malachi about God, test, God being a purifier. Malachi 3.3 3 says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So they've been through the fire. They've uh, been purified. The dross has been burned off, and now they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. This is analogous to genuine faith, which is saving faith. 
this faith has an object, God, and particularly his son, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, uh, not faith in faith, but faith in God and his son. A faith that believes what God has said and trusts in him. It includes all aspects of faith. That means knowing, giving assent to, and trusting. I know Bob has some fancy Latin words for that. I'm not going to try and pronounce them. Notitia, Fiducia, and I don't know what the other one is uh, as far. I'm sorry? A census. A census. Thank you. That's so, so uh, I'll, I'll try this. And genuine faith, which is saving faith. And let's see here. But, but, but knowing is Natisha. Giving assent to is a census. Well, that's easy enough. To, and, and trusting, which is fiducia. So there's your Latin for today. Latin lesson for today. Um, this is the genu- genuine article. The blowtorch, the fire, the trial, the smelting cannot destroy the faith. It can only destroy the dross. It can only burn off the impurities. But the faith itself is genuine we see here in, in James, and it's from God. Genuine faith cannot be destroyed. We also see this in 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7, which reads, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is per- perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen, right? The, may, the more Satan attacks uh, us, the stronger the faith of genuine believers come. But he will attack it nevertheless because he hates God and he hates the people who love God. Um, Faith is not based on your personal temperament. It is not something built into your character, uh, something that people have, some people have and some people don't. It's not based on genetics. Genuine faith is a gift from God and coming from God, it is something that will produce endurance when it is tested. 1 Peter 1.5.7 says, oh, I'm sorry. We are commanded to believe and we are commanded to nurture the faith that is given to us by God. Don't think that genuine faith is for other people that are not like yourself. Genuine faith is pure gold and God will show it to be so. Eric, you have a comment question. Yes, I just want to really thank you and emphasize this point about faith being tested because this is where some of the false theology and and false uh, teachings is so harmful. In other words, we live in a world where, you know, our own normal human reasoning you know, is that we're just going to be blessed all the time and all of it. This is saying something very counterintuitive, that if God loves us, which he does, he will allow us to have our faith be tested. And that is how our faith grows. And there are so many people for whom that is just the opposite of what they would think. This is a huge thing. If, If only more people understood this. Thank you, Eric, for that. That is so true that we see so many truths about God, about his attributes and who he is that people don't like. They want a God that's just all love. They want, I mean, the universalism is rampant. They, you know, they just think, uh, as we talked about earlier, and it, I might come across this again if I do, I'll, I'll skip over it, but people don't even really understand John 3.16, really, you know, the only verse that some people even know, um, I know that it says that God so loved the wor- world, and I, I think a very good translation of that is God in this way, you know, loved uh, loved the world so much that he sent his only son. And, and in what way and for what? He sent him here to be a perfect sacrifice, to live the life so that we could not live uh, um, to shed his blood for the remissions of sins that we could be saved because of that and so that uh, the wrath of God would be diverted from us. Uh, uh, people don't like that message. They just think, oh, God's love, love, love. Uh, what do you, they don't know what they are saved from in that verse. Saved from what? When people say they're saved, I like to ask them, well, what are you saved from? And most people are stumped. They, <laughs> they don't even know what they're saved from. You know, they don't sin. Okay, well, when you have sin, what does that mean? Why do you need to be saved from sin? 
You know, they got to walk them through it. You know, that God really is a wrathful God, and it's all those that uh, um, that uh, believe in His Son are the one who are saved. Believed by faith. You know, we're we're, we're saved by by grace alone. It's a gift of, gift of God. You know, through faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. We find all that in the Scriptures alone. So, yes, thank you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, uh, I think, in the next slide here. Well, you know, we have uh, 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 many people have gone through terrible trials. I talked about this yesterday. And uh, who before the fact, before that trial, would have never uh, believed that they could have made it through such a trial. Um, um, but after the fact, after they've been through it, they, they'll, 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 they can't believe it. They'll say, I can't believe it, but God kept me. I don't know how he did it. I wouldn't have thought that I could have done it, but I, you know, uh, he did. They praise God that I, I'm still here, um, uh, and I have genuine faith. Your faith is proven, um, that it endures and grows through testing and persecution. So let's thank God for that. I think we all have, if you've been a Christian long enough, have had trials and you've seen you don't understand why you're going through them I, I like to pray show me Lord why this is happening um, hindsight is usually pretty darn good when you get on the other side and you can see some changes that took place in your life and you can be thankful for them we don't want trials certainly we don't pray for trials but they come nevertheless uh, it's part of the fallen, fallen world we live in um, here is another example of uh, growing in faith. How do we grow in faith? We, we, this is uh, speaking of uh, uh, about Abraham, and uh, this Romans four section is nineteen twenty. Here is just uh, such a wonderful section. We see so many promises that. that uh, Paul alludes to here uh, in regards to Abraham. In context, basically what he's showing here in Romans 4, and, and Eric will get to this, is he's basically showing its justification by faith alone. And, it, and it's, uh, the terms of salvation have always been the same. I'm going a little far afield here. I think we have plenty of time to get everything done today. But uh, um, he's showing here that, that you know, in this verse, you know, as we see in, in uh Genesis 15:6, where Abraham's faith is credited to him as righteousness. And so he is, we are all saved. We always have been saved. The terms of salvation are the same, always have been the same for all times, and that we are justified by faith. In the Old Testament, those who believed the promises of God that looked forward to Christ in his atoning sacrifice, us, after that, we look back to the cross. I mean, we have the Bible. We uh, uh, all the stories uh, the, the, uh, uh, and the, the truth of God's word that we can look at. You know, so many times I think we, we think about uh, the Old Testament uh, uh, Israelites coming through the Red Sea and seeing all these miracles in the desert, uh, I mean, in the wilderness for 40 days and, and all the things that they saw and people in the New Testament, the disciples, the apostles, all the miracles and such that, that they saw and all the people that were there to see these miracles. And we go, how could anybody not believe, especially those Israelites, the pillar of fire and smoke and parting the Red Sea and the manna and on and on and on and on, all the things that they saw. But I think that our Bible is even more incredible than all that. We can look back at all these things, and when you believe that it's the Word of God and we see all, see all these things, we have all those, all those accounts for us to look at. How can anyone read this book, you know, and, and not believe? Um, we do know how. It's because it's God. God chooses. God saves. God elects. Um, and we don't know who the elect are. We are uh, to preach the gospel and uh, God uses that to save people. He uses his word in our preaching of the gospel. So anyways, that's what Romans uh, 4 talks about, uh, 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 looking at Abraham and his faith. 
and how it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, Romans 4, 19 and 20 reads, And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. We believe in faith by, we grow in faith by believing God's promises. Abraham grew strong in faith by believing God's promises. Through the Bible, number one, we can know God's promises. Number two, we can understand them. And number three, we can live according to them. We need to know what they are. We need to understand them. That way we can apply them and live according to them. When you understand what is promised, then that's something that you can believe and reply, uh, rely on. And we need to know what is not promised. And Eric, just will uh, kind of get to your point. One of the errors of, of the health and wealth uh, gospel and so many, uh, uh, so much of our society here is that they're claiming certain things like God promises to make every Christian wealthy. Well, God did not promise that. He promised everyone good health, good wealth. No, that is not true. Uh, um, it's good to put faith in God's promises. But if you're putting faith in a promise that God didn't give you, you very well may end up disappointed. <laughs> and broke. <laughs> yeah. Your pastor, pastor will probably be rich. Yeah, and he won't let you know when he's sick either. Uh, you know? Uh, I always think that you know, you see this crazy health and wealth. I think they believe that everyone's supposed to live to 120 years old. And uh, if you don't, it's because your faith, your faith and your faith is not strong enough. Their faith is not in God and in Christ. Their faith is in their faith. And if you're, if you're sick or, or you're uh, uh, not rich or you've lost a job, you're, 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 you're sinning or your faith is not up. To, not, yeah. Yep. You've got something wrong with your faith or you're, there's sin in your life that you're not... Haven't dealt with yeah, it is amazing what you pointed out is that you've got to be so much a cherry picker when you read the scriptures to really get that. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. You maybe find a verse here or there that's not even applicable um, or isn't according to the original um, intent of the author. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing to me is that the fabric of the, of the word of God is so much about suffering. It has been appointed to you not only to believe, but to suffer for his name's sake. And of course, Romans chapter eight. Um, mm-hmm. But suffering comes up over and over and over and over again as a part of Christianity. But that is absolutely not even not even understood, but not even read or under, you know, they don't even read those verses, it seems like. It seems like they only have glasses that see certain verses. And I think you kind of brushed on that a little bit, John 3.16 and maybe a couple others oh, yeah. that they concentrate on. But it just is amazing to me. It's like, how can you, have you not read the scriptures? Oh, yeah, read it every day. But they, they just can't see verses. It's just that most of the Bible is just blocked to them. Yeah, they take them, take them out of context all the time, you know, and uh, they, they think if you talk, I have some friends who are going up to uh, uh, Living Word for uh, forever, probably close to 30 years. And uh, I love these people, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, they will not even say anything that has negative uh, connotation to them. They will not even, we were with them when, uh, Robin and I were with them one night having dinner, and uh, he said, he kind of expressed a little bit of doubt. Uh, um, Unfortunately, uh, Unfortunately for him, he's a real estate agent as well. Like I am, and he was talking about a deal that fell apart, but he thought that some, someone else may, may have come along to purchase his property, but he wasn't sure if it was going to work out, and his wife chastised him, don't you dare talk like that. You know what pastor such and such said. We cannot even express those uh, uh, negative thoughts because they think their words have power, and they, can, they create things with their words. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not true, and uh, they think when we talk about suffering as a Christian, it's blasphemous. It, it, you know, how can you talk like that? Yep. Okay. Um, Abraham believed God. As we said in Genesis fifteen six, it was credited to him as righteousness. This is justification by faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. 
the five shoulders. <laughs> um, inside joke there. We grow in faith by believing the promises of God and found in the Bible, by trusting God and obeying him as we go through life. I just think what Hebrews 11, you know, the heroes of the faith and, and what we see cited there. Uh, um, it's a wonderful verse to go look at uh, and read when you want to want to look at what faith looks like the heroes of the face or the, or the hall of faith right as I mentioned earlier this faith that is growing in the Thessalonians um, was prayed for by Paul in his first letter we see here in 1 Thessalonians uh, 1.3 um, where he noted their faith you can see I have highlighted and read your work of faith. He said that when I pray, Paul did, when I pray, I thank God for you. And when I thank God for you, again, we see him thanking God. I thank God for your work of faith, their work of faith. They had faith. They had a real faith. They had a faith that worked. In, in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says that night and day they keep praying most earnestly to see your face. And, and he says that God might complete what is lacking in your faith. Okay, so earlier when he wrote to Thessalonians in his first letter, he was praying for the faith. They had faith, but he wanted them to have more faith. He also did that with love as well. Um, we see here then in, in, in our scripture here that we're looking at 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3. He is now giving thanks to God for you, brethren, brothers and sisters, as it reads too, as, in only, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. And then it goes on later in the verse to say also that their, their love for each one of you toward one another grows even greater. So their faith and love is growing. Paul had prayed for that. He told him he prayed for it. And now he's saying, it is so. I've had a report and I see under all this persecution, your faith and growth, your faith and love are growing. Um, faith for one another. This is commendable church growth. It's true church growth. Growth that the New Testament talks about. Nowhere in the New Testament is church growth related to how big an organization is? Uh, how, uh, or uh, it's always about faithfulness to God. Growth in faith and love and the faithfulness of their confession of the gospel. We see that, we see that in the letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. We'll take, a, we'll take a quick look at that too. Spend a little more time. We've talked about faith. Uh, we're we're going to talk about love too, growing in love for one another. I have uh, the scripture 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23 which reads, so you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently loving one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. So again, we see this indestructible faith. It's a seed that is, is uh, uh, imperishable. It's not perishable. It's from God. It's from the living word of God. Because they have believed the gospel and obeyed the truth. You know, it's our souls are purified and cleansed, as it says here. They're purified. We see that the object of, uh, to this cleansing, this purification, is a sincere love of uh, the brothers and sisters. A love from one, for one another from the heart. Love for, one, for another person in the body of Christ is expressed in taking actions that are, are, are in others' best interests, you know, whether, whatever that may be. Sometimes the most loving thing to do may be to correct someone. Sometimes it may be to encourage them. Sometimes it may be to be pray with them and care about them, to be somebody they can feel safe to talk to and will bring the uh, concerns that they have to the Lord. Whatever it may be, uh, a loving person will do what is best for somebody else. So we see a commendable church, commendable church growth is, number one, preaching the gospel so that God adds to the universal church. We have genuine, genuine conversion. Number two, the church is nurturing, nurturing genuine faith so that by this faith we are able to stand trials. 
and grow even under persecution. And number three, uh, a church that is fervently loving one another and is expressing it in practical ways because of their care and concern for God's precious flock. We're going to see here a little bit about perseverance. Uh, Verse 4 reads, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is answered prayer again. Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3 3 through 5 says, Every time I pray for you, I always remember your steadfastness of hope. You have a strong hope, but I want you to have a stronger one. I'm concerned about whether you're going to endure all these afflictions. So he says, uh, uh, yes, you have more hope here. You have more hope. You're persevering. You're hanging in there. Uh, He says, God is answering my prayers. I'm I'm seeing increased faith increased love and persevering hope or perseverance. Want to look at the words affliction here? The word affliction here is literally in the Greek uh, pressure, a very strong word like being in a pressure cooker. Is Julie Redmond here? Oh, good. I I thought she she always remembers when I said something about marriage and a pressure cooker. I'm not going to go there later, but... Uh, <laughs> she liked that one. Uh, it's the same word. I think it's philipsis is the Greek word. Yeah, uh, tension, pressure, friction. Uh, well, I'll tell the story real quick. I think, Nancy, you probably know it, uh, if I remember correctly. But a long time ago, I heard some teaching about, about marriage. And this was back in that church that was seeker-friendly and ended up emerging everything else. But the pastor did say some good things every now and then. He did, he did address felt needs pretty well. He was teaching, teaching about marriage, and he says, his dad told him when he got married, he says, it's like this, son. He says, marriage is like this. He says, you got two tough pizza meat, pieces of meat. He says, you take them. He says, you throw them in a pressure cooker, clamp down the lid, turn up the heat, you know. <laughs> he says, 30 years later, you take that top off, <laughs> relieve that pressure, and you got two nice tender pieces of meat. You know, he says, that's marriage, son. That's marriage. You know, I think it's pretty realistic. It can be. Hopefully it's not 30, hopefully it's not 30 years. But I, I also say that marriage is the great sanctifier. I mean, you have to think about somebody else, put someone else before yourself. And uh, it is a wonderful institution uh, uh, from God uh, uh, in many ways, uh, but uh, it definitely has sanctified me, I'll tell you that. Still working on it. Um, let's see here. So it's, it's, it's like a pressure cooker. Um, where am I? Literally pressure, very strong word. They were under extreme pressure because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and they were willing to endure that no matter how bad, no matter how bad it got, because they were so convinced of the truth of the gospel. Enduring here, we see, means ongoing, uncommon, and numerous trials that they were under, and that they were expressing perseverance in the midst of that. Perseverance is a virtue. It is, it is what genuine faith looks like. It's not, if you only have mental assent, ascension, saying, in other words, I believe that there once was a guy who lived named Jesus. You're just ascending to that, just saying, yeah, it probably was a guy named Jesus, or I even believe that he did live. Just ascension to that, but you don't believe it. Um, if that's all you have, I'm sorry? That's right, even the demons believe, that's right. They know Christ pretty well. <laughs> um, um, that's all you have. And it's probably going to go away under persecution. If you have genuine faith and trust and believe and hope in Jesus Christ, you will persevere. It, perseverance uh, literally means to stay under, to stay put. Tim, do you want to? Oh, I just want to make a quick comment. Uh, Paul had prayed in First Thessalonians for the strengthening of the church and their faith. Uh, with one another, and it's kind of unique in my mind that he states in one three that each one of you, all for one another, uh, your faith flourishes 
that each of you for one another means every single one of them had Amen. faith and love stronger for each other, which in my mind was key in their <clears throat> perseverance in the midst of all these afflictions. And uh, it's kind of amazing that God used that love and faith for one another, each and every single one of them, that without is, exception, uh, to fulfill that prayer. That is amazing. Each and every one. Amen. That, and they're together. They're supporting each other. Through all, through thick and thin, lost jobs, persecution, probably jail, beatings, you name it. Uh, you know, but that is amazing. Each and every one. Good catch, Tim. Free coffee, right? <laughs> all right. <clears throat> like I say, uh, perseverance means literally to stay under, to stay put. Uh, it's a quality. Uh, of character, which is not, does not allow one to surrender or succumb under trial. Genuine faith, when put in the pressure cooker of life, when attacked from all angles, uh, but is from God, will persevere. It will stay under. It will not only refuse to go away, but your faith will gain strength. If you're a genuine Christian and you go through a severe trial, whatever it may be, family or work or anything that make your life very, very difficult and unhappy, something that shakes you, uh, your faith down to the bedrock, um, you're gonna, you may ask yourself, um, oh, sorry, didn't want to do that. <clears throat> um, something in the workplace or something that makes your life very, very difficult, um, something that shakes your faith to the bedrock, you may ask yourself, am I a Christian or not? Is this real or not? Are the promises of God true or not? Why am I even serving God? God, This is you know, a Job type of thing. Once you go through that kind of trial and you've come through the other side, you'll know you have growing faith because you know that God can keep you through the worst and you're still here and you're still serving him. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know this to be true. Granted, we all have days where our faith doesn't look so genuine. Just check with anybody's spouse or family member. But in the end, we know that your faith is real because God has kept you. Perseverance of the faith is a wonderful evidence of genuine faith. Um, now we're going to look at this speak proudly, this boasting here. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches. You know, uh, pride, we know that pride is not a good thing, but this is, there's, there's good boasting, there's bad boasting, there's good pride, bad pride. This is the good boasting. Uh, um, what he would do when he's saying here, we speak proudly of you, he goes to, uh, he gives the testimony of Thessalonians as an example of God's grace. You know, um, not that they were such great people, but that God gave them genuine faith and it was growing under persecution. God had given them a love for one another and by this grace they were expressing it. By his grace they were expressing it. So he'd go to the other churches and he'd say, have you thought about the Thessalonians? They are hated by everybody in their city, Jew and Greek, and they've lost their livelihood in some cases. They have been under severe persecution, but look at the, look at the faith they have and look at how much they are expressing it to one another. So, Paul says, I can speak proudly of this church because God is at work in them and they can serve as an example for the rest of us. And that's a valid thing to do. That is, it's valid to be proud of that and to boast in that, boast in what God is doing. It's not boasting in the flesh. It's something that we are, that's something we're not supposed to do, but it's boasting in the Lord. Uh, so let's differentiate here uh, between good and bad boasting. Um, we see in 2 Corinthians ten seventeen, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. And boasting in the Lord is boasting only in what God has done in his grace. We can boast that we have a gospel that the, the world cannot uh, gainsay or refute. We have the truth of God's word that can never be wrong because it's God, God does not lie. We can boast about the fact that God works graciously in our lives. Going faster because we're just about out of time. Uh, uh, um, 
We can, uh, God has worked graciously in our lives and our families and our friends and our church, but it's always the Lord's work that is being accentuated. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul says. And 2 Corinthians uh, 1, uh, 12 is just awesome, starting in right there. I, would, I wanted to read that verse, but we're up to just a few, up, up against the clock here. We don't have time to do that, but I would recommend if you want to see uh, uh, what good boasting is by Paul, go check that verse out, 2 Corinthians 1, 12. In James 4, we see a different kind of boasting, boasting by these businessmen, uh, where James says to us, you know, he tells, he says, he, well, it reads here, but as, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. These businessmen were boasting uh, that uh, they were going to go here and there and they were going to make a large profit, um, you know, and James, James tells them later on in this, he says, he says, you don't know what your life is. Your life is like a vapor. You don't even know if you're going to be alive next year, let alone make a profit. Uh, so that is boasting in the flesh. Um, we don't want to do that. We'll end up being covenant breakers. When we start boasting in ourselves what we're going to do, we're going to be obedient, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, not sin, that's boasting in us, that's boasting in our flesh. You're going to be a covenant breaker. So <clears throat> you can say, if the Lord wills, I will survive in business, and I believe that I will be able to care for my family. When it comes to spiritual things, yes, we, we want to be a great, great Christians. We want to, be, want to fully serve God. We want to do something in a way that honors God. But we can't say, this is what I am going to do. We have to say, God, help me. I believe that God is so great that he can help me fulfill my ministry, but I don't believe in me. That's the difference between boasting in the Lord and boasting in the flesh, boasting in ourselves. Um, we need to be careful as a church not to, not to be boasting in man. What we ought to be thinking is, if we get the truth of the gospel out, I believe that God will use the foolishness of the gospel preached to add people to his church. Um, we need to put ourselves under the means of grace so we will grow in faith and grow in love for one another. God will work through the things that he says he would work couple more slides here. This is a long one, too. We, this is where uh, I took a look at Revelation, uh, the, the, the churches in Revelation, uh, too. And not going to have a lot of time to flesh this out. It's 10 o'clock here. Uh, Christ, in the letters, letters to the church, talks about overcoming all the time. We're overcomers, churches that persevere, churches that reject and hate false doctrine, and churches that are faith when they're weak. He only commends two churches in the, in the, in the book of Revelation out of the seven. That's the Church of Philadelphia and Smyrna. And in, those were small churches with not many resources, but their faith was genuine, and, and they honored the word of God. And so it's never about a big church with a lot of rich churches. It's, a, it's about believing in God and his promises. Um, they didn't have a lot of resources. They were weak, but they, they were commanded by Jesus Christ that they were faithful to his word, even in their weakness. God has small remnants all around the world, weak assemblies that are growing because they, are, they have genuine faith and are faithful to the Lord and love one another and are persevering. Last slide. We've looked at four characteristics in these verses as to what commendable church growth is church a church to be proud of a church to be thankful for it and uh we we saw uh genuine conversion that inward how do we know that it was genuine conversion because it has a faith that keeps increasing under trials it has love that endures and keeps growing under trials it has hope that perseveres under trials that never waver under persecution that cares little about what happens to them physically because they know God uses all of it as a pruning, purging, judging, chastening work, chastening work to suit them for future glory. When we're in the church universal, we're, 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 we're have it at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what we have to look forward to. That's our hope. That's our sure hope, our sure hope in Christ and his bringing us to glory. This is commendable church growth. It's a church to be proud of, a church to be thankful for. And we can all 
examine ourselves, examine our church, and, and uh, strive for these things as well. So that, is, that concludes the study here. I will end in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these truths that you've shown us. We thank you that uh, we can know what it is that you, through the Holy Spirit, have shown us to be commendable. We ask that uh, we as a church will be faithful to you and to your word and to your gospel. Uh, Put the gospel on our lips. Give us the ability to uh, present it in a way that would change people's hearts, that they would come to know you, Heavenly Father. And uh, we just ask that you keep this body of believers safe and you keep us together and you keep our love and our faith and our perseverance growing, especially as we see times of persecution seeming to mount against us. Uh, Help us be salt and light and truth in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes.